Okay, so today on that conversation, we're going to discuss the ugly truth of the all-encompassing effects of Alzheimer's and dementia-related diseases. And I've discussed this, I've touched on this on various segments of my podcast, but um, it just bears reiterating that this disease is one that most do not prepare for, but requires the most preparation. Primarily because it's an all-consuming disease. It is an overwhelming um, prospect for people who are having to deal with it. And if you have absolutely no background in things like nutritional therapy and its benefits to the disease, it, it, can, it can easily and quickly disintegrate. Now, there are things that scientists are doing to help people to live longer with the disease. However, the reality is for the majority of people dealing with Alzheimer's, one, we barely get tested for heart disease, much less get tested early to find out what our um, likelihood of getting Alzheimer's disease is. And then when you're dealing with Alzheimer's, which is the segment of dementia, it's even, it, there's more testing and diagnosing for things of that nature than there is for dementia itself because not all dementia um, situations are a part of Alzheimer's. They're, Alzheimer's, dementia is a part of every Alzheimer's is dementia. But not all dementia is an Alzheimer's diagnosis. So they're, they're not going to be necessarily easily detectable. Now, some of the things we do know is that concussions, um, things like um, anything that has to do with concussions or having to do with um, emotional and anxiety-related stresses, such as people who are in situations like having been in war, things that can cause depression, it puts you at a greater um, risk factor of getting the disease, but it's not a guarantee, it's not a, you can't diagnose that. I mean, there's, there's a chance you may not get it just because you had a concussion because you fell when you were playing basketball, I mean, playing football um, and, and hit your head real hard. I mean, there, so it's not a foregone conclusion that because these things happen to you, you're going to develop dementia or Alzheimer's as you get older. However, that being said, it's a complex disease in the sense that the, the amount of care dementia and Alzheimer's require makes it a disease that can easily bankrupt our society and when you take in consideration the huge number of people who fall in the sway of the category of, of being um, a potential candidate for this disease is astronomical because we have a huge older population now so there, while the factoring in of you know how to make the social security stretch be you know at least to meet the um, projected expectation of life it in no way 
encompasses the expense of Alzheimer's or dementia care that's required. So we're at a huge disadvantage on that level. With that being stated, it behooves us to begin looking at ways that we can minimize the cost of care and improve the quality of care um, since the reality is it's not a disease that practically one person can really do by themselves in terms of helping someone with it uh, without potentially damaging themselves in the process. It's not a one person care for a person disease. It really takes a team effort of support and primarily because not only is it a taxing disease in the sense that you're having to deal with people who, you know, are wanderers, you know, put the potential that while you're sleeping at night, they may wake up and cut the oven on or they may wake up and decide they got to go home, even though they are home. And so they're out in the streets. So that means you're on edge because if you're the only person, especially if you're the only person who's caring for them, you have to keep one ear open even as you sleep because you just don't know what they're going to do. So it's a disease that requires really having someone accessible or having them monitored on a regular basis. Now, some of the things that I would like to really explore and I believe that the opportunity for me to explore that is 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 imminent but um, is being able to do something along the lines of taking like a study of an individual their patterns and seeing if you can find what their routine pattern see if you can actually not only find what the routine pattern and see but also see if you can shift that pattern if it's not conducive to an environment where it required to, to minimize the, the necessity of care required for that individual so in order to really do this effectively it's going to require doing um, really hands-on research and I believe if we can find a way to kind of figure out what a person's pattern is um, and it may take a month to do that which means having 24-hour care having someone reporting you know this is when they basically go to sleep around this time and this time this is when they basically wake up around this time and this time this is um, when they're more receptive to bathing when they're more receptive to taking um, their medication um, this is their dietary log you know, when they eat this, this is, they respond this way. Or when they eat that, they respond the other way. How does music play a role in their um, engaging in daily activities? So in order to effectively do this, however, it is going to require that we have, um, we have a study done on each individual. And because every individual is different. And so, and then every sex is different. So when you're dealing with a woman versus you're dealing with a man, um, there are different variables that we have to always take in consideration when looking at 
providing the best possible care for people suffering from this disease. And that being the case, it's just going to be extremely important that we're mindful of doing that research and um, investing that time and attention. And unfortunately, most people, you know, we don't have that. We do not, the ugly truth of the situation is the, any situation you put your, your loved one in is going to be um, not ideal. If you keep them at home as much as you love them, if you're working alone, you don't have a collaborative effort of or a team of people working with you who are equally as as active and as res- responsive as you are, it's 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 going to they're not going to get the best quality care. Not because you're not doing everything possible. You're going to do everything you could possibly do because you have every motivation to. You love this individual. So it's not because you don't want to. It's because humanly, it's, it's impossible to do. It's impossible for you to stay up 24 hours a day, seven days a week to make sure that every need that this person may possibly have is met. Um, it's it's um, one of those things where it's just it's going to take a toll on your health if you don't have help with this individual. Uh, so because it's, it's such a, a, a disease that is so consuming, you have to have that kind of support. So the second option is to put them in a nursing home or a memory care facility. And the downfall of putting them in one of these facilities is that even with the team of individuals who would be there to care for them, whose job it is to watch them, you basically have changed hats. You went from being the person who was doing all of that to now you're the critic who's going to have to be there making sure they're doing what they're supposed to do. Because believe it or not, um, most, not most, but many people who die from this disease, they don't die from the disease itself. They really die from a negligence of care, meaning people who are hired to do positions don't do them as they should such as staph infections. That's a major reason why many of them die um, because their wounds are not being properly attended to by the professionals. So you become a critic, a checker, one who has to go behind people and say, hey, look, he hasn't been turned over or she hasn't been switched sides. You know, um, the bandages have not been replaced in you know a day or so you know all these different things you're having to make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do and so that becomes overwhelming because who wants to micromanage mature adults who are getting paid to do a job that they don't want to do and so then you start you start becoming in between on how you feel about it when you start hearing the stories of these people. I mean, number one, you're talking about a field where if you're not a registered nurse 
or someone with that kind of credential, but you're still being responsible for doing the nitty gritty, you know, the things, the, the grunge work, the real hard work. Um, the reality is you're not only having to deal with patients who are not always willing to work with you, but you're also having to deal with staff that's not on your side who um, make your work twice as hard, who's actually telling you to spend as little time as possible because the pay is commensurate to the amount of time you're having to spend with each patient. So you're, you're encouraged to spend less time <laughs> with every patient. So you have that end of the equation. Then you have um, things like government standardized um, requirements that states that it, depending on where that person lives, well, they're qualified for memory care or they're not qualified for memory care. And here's the conundrum. If they're not qualified for memory care, your next option is skilled nursing. Skilled nursing is 24-hour care, which if you don't qualify for Medicaid because you're financially not poor enough, yet you're still too poor to afford to pay $7,000 a month for them to get care, then you're in a position where there's no options for them but you. And you're not an option if you have to work in order for you to sustain your own life, much less try to help them. So it's, it's really a, a disease with multiple areas of concern and we're not even touching on the fact that now what has been dropped into your lap is the responsibility of whatever financial um hiccups <laughs> that were left in the down in in the boom in the destruction so um these are all things that we want to cover these are all things i want you to think about and these are all things i want you to think about while before crunch time happens begin developing a plan before this happens you know we've already touched on the importance of developing a plan for you know death we touched on you know um already knowing what you want to happen after you die because so many people families break up over this whole estate issue so we've discussed that but now we need to talk about what happens should you live, but you're unable to care for yourself and you're mentally not in a position to make any kind of decisions for yourself and not just you think about that for yourself, what you would want and begin um, looking at the options available, but also for your loved ones who are reaching the age where this is a vulnerability that needs to be considered. So um, that being the case, and I also want you to look at helping those if you have someone who's who has a spouse, if you have a parent who has a spouse who's going through this disease, I encourage you, do what you can to help them. You do not understand how just being available to give them a few hours a day can make a world of difference in their ability to provide better care for their loved one because it's a consuming disease. And even as tired as you may be when you come home from working all day or 
handling or going to your kids, you know, activities and sports and all this other stuff. Don't put the need that your loved one have on the back burner for your care. Please do not do that. Take time to see what they go through because in your compassion for them, and if you if you can't help them in a way where financially you can be there, you know, if you can't physically be there to assist them, it costs a lot to get someone to come in there. You know, it could cost as much as $17 an hour to get a qualified uh, nurse or someone to come in there. But giving them that two or three hours a day could mean saving not just the life or extending the life of your loved one with the disease, but also extending the quality of life and extending the life of the one caring for the disease. Because believe it or not, many caregivers end up dying before the person they're taking care of because it's just so consuming. It's emotionally taxing, it's physically taxing, and it's um, it's depressing to be in a position where you are so overwhelmed and you feel like you have no support and you feel like the walls are coming in on you. So I want you to just think about these things. I want you to consider these things. We've discussed an action plan. We talked about the ugly truth of this disease. We talked about the options that are available to you. Um, we've talked about the downside of the options that are available to you. And I know it may seem like this whole seg segment is kind of morbid when you think about it. But really what I want to do is I want to set the stage, the platform for how we can change the tide of this. If you listen to this and you listen to my politically um, incorrect presentation that deals with dealing with the cultural aspect of this disease and how it plays into or factors into um, the cycle, if you will, of making these decisions about nursing homes, staying home and how it affects all the parties involved. Listen to both of these segments because both of those segments really is going to help to empower you to begin wanting to put together a community action plan to safeguard our future because listen to me folks if the government had a solution for this the problem would already be solved they don't they don't medicaid is not going to be something that we're going to be able to continuously depend on because the amount of people who require this type of care at this degree of care the the government can't afford to do it and plus even with that being said, I don't know what you know about nursing homes, but really research it. These options are not like they're really better options. <laughs> but my point is we can change the tide, but it's going to require making sure we change how we train our workers, how we support our workers, how, you know, raising the bar and the standard on accountability for these facilities um, raising the bar for home care, home health care um, providers and people who are working for those, you know, working for us. Um, and if we're going to care for them, you know, coming up with an action plan for how we can collaborate with other family members so that we can make it a lot smoother of a transition and make it more helpful. Um, looking at options in terms of activities and take it and actually doing studies 
on individuals and developing a plan of study that can be effective in this. So all of these are areas that we can all look into, but first you gotta know there's a need, why? And that's what this segment, along with the politically incorrect truth about Alzheimer's and dementia disease, those two, these two segments are going to help you with the why we need to begin to put together an action plan. Then we can start dealing with the nuts and bolts of each actual bullet point that we need to start tackling. So I hope that this blessed you. As always, if there's anything specific you would like to discuss or you would like to put into this process, I look forward to hearing from you. Shalom.